welcome to A Better Story Podcast. Don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and also to check out Light Theory's music who does our intro and outro. So in this episode, I'm sitting down with author, writer, activist, Mark Scandretz, whose latest book, Becoming and Belonging, is available now. So go check that out. Now, Mark and I, before we recorded this, had just come from a demonstration at the San Francisco Hall of Justice on behalf of Emilcar Perez Lopez, a young man in Mark's neighborhood who was shot by the police. And after this demonstration, we found a coffee shop sat down, debriefed, and talked about Mark's increased activism, his increased awareness of privilege and systematic racism. And all this took place on Good Friday. And as you'll hear and as we unpack, uh, it was one of the most memorable Good Fridays that I can think of in quite a while because there were some undeniable connections between what happened to Emilcar and what happens on Good Friday. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Check it out and go check out uh, Mark's work as well. Enjoy. Thanks for being here, Mark. Great to be with you. Yeah. Well, let me start with a couple uh, confessions slash apologies. The first one is that when I first came across your work for a long time, I mispronounced your name, not just to myself, but to other people. I was spreading the books of Mark Scandretti, which mm. is more a, a name that belongs on a pasta jar. Mm-hmm. Um, so apologies for, for falsely spreading. I really wish I was Italian. There's actually a story about that. My grandfather looked at our last name and he's like, it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing to just have it be R-E-T-T, and he added the E. And ever since then, yeah, people have mispronounced it. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good-sounding name. Mm-hmm. Second apology slash confession is, as I was thinking about this, I did not know how to introduce you. Um, mm. You are a speaker and an author, but it doesn't seem like those things fully encapsulate who you are or what you do. So mm. you want to speak to that a little mm-hmm. bit, maybe? Yeah, well, I run a place called Reimagine, and we like to say it's a center for life integration or a center for integral Christian practice. So I'm, I have a lifelong interest in figuring out how do I, um, how do I put the teachings of Christ into everyday life, or how how do we become more whole as human beings? What does it mean to be fully human? And what I've learned is um, that 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 happens through new experiences intentional practices and a group dynamic mm-hmm. and so we try and create experiences for people that are transformational yeah as i was thinking about how to describe what you do the the phrase that kept coming up is that your understanding of faith or spirituality seems to be very grounded in life in mm-hmm. the world and tangible results is probably not the right word but uh, if it doesn't hit the ground, it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like it's, it's interesting you mm-hmm. as much. Right. It should be, I think real spirituality should connect with every aspect of your life. Mm. shouldn't just be a head trip. Yeah. Well, that leads in nicely to sort of maybe the where this conversation is going. Uh, the premise of the podcast is to explore with people the things that have taken on a life of their own that have led them into a deeper appreciation of life, of God, of spirituality, mm. whatever language you want to put mm. on it. And so we were kicking that around before we got uh, got on air here. So you want to talk a little bit about what that is for you and what that looks like? Yeah. Um, well, I've just we've just had a fresh experience. Um, we um, and something that's happened been happening for me the last couple of years is um, being invited into 
wrestling with issues of race and privilege and police brutality. Um, we're doing this recording on Good Friday, a day where we were many of us remember the death, the unjust death of a young Israeli man uh, by civic authorities. And we stood on the steps of the Hall of Justice uh, an hour and a half ago, remembering the, the lives that have been taken by police in our city here the last couple of years. Uh, ten, ten, ten people, nine out of ten of them being people of color, who were shot and killed by San Francisco police officers. Um, so it's uh, interesting to pair those two things, you know. Yeah. Good, good Friday, a day of a day of sacrifice and mourning, and it it continues to be a day where we're mourning the loss of young young lives. Yeah, the more I understand about Good Friday, the harder it is to turn away from suffering and injustice mm. because that is sort of what's at mm-hmm. the heart of the cross. Sort of mm-hmm. in a pre-spiritual way, that's what the cross was, was uh, an act of injustice towards mm. uh, a marginalized person. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to maybe back up a little bit and talk about how you began to get engaged in these issues mm-hmm. of privilege and racial justice and policing? Yeah. I would say I would like to think that I've always been a sensitive person, um, but I think that I. W- but I. But I. Th- the more I think about it, I realize I don't. As a as a white middle aged man, I don't think that. <laughs> I I could I could do that theoretically and it not be very practical. Yeah. And. So a couple years ago when the Ferguson verdict, the day, the day that the police officer was not found uh, guilty, um, it was, it was, there was going to be marches in the streets of many U.S. cities. I was seeing my Facebook page blow up with comments from friends saying things uh, like Black Lives Matter. And at dinner that night, I was sitting around the table with my wife and our three children, and I said something that was sort of cranky middle-aged man dismissive. Um, I said, you know, I'm not going to post anything about Ferguson or Black Lives Matter on my social media because that's just slacktivism. I know that most of my friends who are posting these things don't have a close friend who's a person of color. Mm. So they're kind of being hypocritical or they want to feel like they're on the right side yeah. of, of current events without really having any skin in the game. And my daughter turns to me and she says, Papa, if you have been given a voice and have a platform, you should amplify the voices of the voiceless. And so you have lots of people who listen to you on social media. You should say something. Hmm. And usually at my house, I'm the one giving dinner time table speeches (laughs) and so I this is like a reversal and I really had to listen to that and I said you're right but if I'm going to post something I want to do it from firsthand experience and uh, I actually I've been trying to work this out more and more um, kind of as a as an approach or a philosophy of life can I work to have firsthand experiences of things rather than second or third hand experiences uh, because I think we're changed more by first-hand experiences than by the passive 
what we hear on the news or read a, read a book about. It. We, we need to experience things. So I, told, I turned to my daughter and said, I propose that we get up from the table now. We can hear the helicopters overhead ready to film the march. Let's go down to the mm. subway station three blocks away and listen to the cries of our neighbors. And so we did it. We did that as a family. Hundreds of our neighbors were gathered. The look on people's faces, just hurt, upset. Um, it, conf- it kind of reminded them of personal family pain, of, of, of in- injustice that relatives have experienced or that they've experienced. And a young black man got up on a microphone and preached like a, like a Hebrew prophet about justice rolling down and that we got to work together towards God's shalom and something really stirred inside of me that night I feel like something kind of started to wake up and um, and it caused me to think well who's at my table and who isn't at my table and we worked hard that year to make sure there were people at our Thanksgiving dinner that were different than us in race and class and then I went to an event for speaker writer types called Red Letter Christians that December. And at, um, at Red Letter that year, a lot of my friends um, who are people of color were talking about their, their and their family's experience of racism. And these aren't people that are prone to complain, but because, because of the Black Lives Matter thing, this we all need to talk about this and one of my friends said you know i i go to speak at a university or a large church and sometimes uh, it's happened to me more than once that somebody tells me that the toilet's plugged and that i should go unplug it or ask me where the garbage can is they assume i'm the janitor and i was actually the invited speaker and so they prejudged me by the color of my skin and that broke my heart and then another one of my friends said, I just had the talk with my teenage son. Yeah. And I said, what's the talk? Oh, the talk about driving while black, because he's about to get his driver's license. Um, how to stay alive when you're stopped by the police. Yeah. And she said, it's not a matter of if he's stopped by the police, but when. Mm-hmm. And this has been confirmed to me over and over that my, my friends who have kids of color some, some of their kids are stopped once a week. Uh, in fact, I have a friend who lives in Malibu, California. He's on the faculty of Pepperdine University, and his young son is stopped regularly simply because of the color of his skin. Yeah. So it's easy for me as uh, someone from the dominant culture t- to, not, to, to believe that this can't possibly be the way things are because I'm never stopped for right. the color of my skin. Yeah, and your experience must be the universal experience. No one ever asks yeah. me to clean the toilets yeah. when I go to speak at a university. Well, that's a good point because it sounds like the first step for you and what I've seen with a lot of people, myself included, is the first step in the sort of move towards justice and equity is listening. Mm-hmm. And listening and actually being open-minded and believing as opposed to questioning and second-guessing yeah. and saying, but what about this? Yeah, and I think hear, hearing somebody's hearing somebody I know tell their story. Yeah. But I think you're right. Sometimes we're not, especially people who look like you and me, yeah. 
our instinct is always to speak first because we think things. Yeah. I mean, we're literally recording a podcast right now about privilege and equality. We're just, we're just not very good at listening. Yeah. That's, there's a great irony in this as we are recording. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to do this just a little bit this year where I'm, I'm trying to read um, more books by people of color. Yeah. Realizing, although theoretically I'd like to say I'm a global citizen and yeah. that I want to listen to multiple voices, most of the voices are are Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. Well, this kind of brings up an interesting point in my mind. As you have gone on this journey and listened and began to engage, what have you seen your role as as a a white man? Yeah. Well, I th- I think I think it's first to listen and. S- what it definitely isn't is for me to lead and that might be one of the reasons why I haven't been more involved up till now Mm. is that I um, being being a being a faith leader uh, who's Anglo-Saxon I think our tendency is to say um, if you're seminary educated especially unless I'm in charge I'm not involved yeah yeah and that's been part of the problem that has led to all this is yeah. a lot of people that look like us being in charge and abusing that. Yeah. Um, and it's just not, it's not appropriate for me to be yeah. in charge. Um, it needs to be, I need to amplify others' voices, not be the voice. But I'm a voice. I'm used yeah. to uh, saying stuff, yeah. sharing my thoughts. Well, so another event happened not long after that. I got together with an Episcopal priest in my neighborhood who in invited me to be a part of something called Mission Night Walks. And we were talking about the violence that persists in the mission, despite the fact that Mark Zuckerberg owns a house in my neighborhood. Mm. There's still there's still drug and gang activity. People are still losing their lives um, through violence. And so um, he said, hey, twice a month we walk and pray and meet neighbors, um, pray for peace. So I said, I'd love to get involved. That night, it was curious how this got paired. That night, um, the police, two two undercover police officers, shot and killed a a twenty year old boy around the corner on my block. And I went to the. Um, I, re- I remember it. I was watching. I think we were watching reruns of Arrested Development in our living room, <laughs> and I heard one shot followed by five more. Mm. And usually when this happens, and it's happened often over the years, you wait and if you hear sirens, it means someone got hit and we should go outside and see what's going on. It didn't hear sirens. And there was a reason for that. And that is that um, the, the police immediately went door to door and told people to go inside, told them that they hadn't seen anything. Wow asked for their cameras and phones holy cow and needed to come up with a story to explain what happened um i i think police have a difficult job and they're in high stress situations sometimes they make mistakes like we all do but the so that's not the issue right The, the problem is the chief of police came up with a story that yeah. wasn't what really happened. Yeah. 
And I went to the town hall meeting where he presented this a couple nights later. Hundreds of my neighbors there saying things like, this happened to my uncle, this happened to my cousin, this happened to my son, who um, had an altercation with the police that ended up in violence or death. Yeah. All people of color. And um, something in my heart just really broke and thought, we, we, need, we need newness to come to this situation. Yeah. Um, so, the aut- so the police say that he was attacking them with a kitchen knife. And, but the autopsy came back. Two independent autopsies showed that he'd been shot five times in the back. So he was actually fleeing from the police. Yeah, it's pretty hard to attack someone with a knife running away. Yes. And um, on top of that, they didn't clearly identify themselves as police officers. They were plain clothes yeah. and started screaming at him in English. Mm. And so from his perspective, he's there's these t- two big burly men yeah. beating him up. Yeah. He pulls out the kitchen knife he had and is going to defend himself. Right, that's an understandable response. And um, and they they shot him. Um, so we we started um, getting involved in what became Justice for a Milcar because uh, this young man's name was a Milcar Perez Lopez. He was um, from the mountains of Guatemala from a Mayan family. They their first language isn't even Spanish. It was wow. a, a mountain dialect and. Um, he had come across the border in search of work and was actually working two full, full-time jobs to support his parents and five siblings. So his boss got up during that town hall meeting and said, something doesn't make sense here. This is the most hardworking young man. He just earned enough money to get electricity put into his parents' hut in the mountains of Guatemala. He sends all his money to them. He's not a thug. Yeah. And yet he's dead. This needs to be looked at more closely. Um, so we started hosting some of the meetings for Justice for Milkar in our living room. And that was even a learning curve for me, working with, um, we'd have to do them in Spanish and English. Yeah. And um, uh, I, again, a new step for me to not try and take charge. Yeah, yeah. So do you I'm, have any learning moments in that? I mean, I'm trying uh, to embarrass no, you right now. I think... I think I'd been, it wasn't my first rodeo, so I knew enough to know that the white middle-aged man's the last person to speak yeah. or to s- declare things. Yep. Um, so Lisa and I made chili. We bought candles for the vigils. Mm. We set up chairs. Yeah. Um, I bring the sound system. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. my role. Those are the gifts that you can bring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, the voices of of people of color are the ones that need to be amplified but I'll tell you um, it's interesting I've I grew up going to church every three times a week I felt God's presence more in prayer vigils in public and demonstrations in public the last two years than I ever felt in a church service why do you think that is um, I'm there with my neighbors yeah it's about real life events. Uh, I distinctly remember one where, um, uh, in a in a similar case uh, that happened a year before, a young man named Alex Nieto was um, 
was was killed by uh, 56 bullets shot into him up on Bernal Hill behind our house. And they'd gone through the civil trial and lost. And that night we gathered at the Mission Community Cultural Center. And I was really bummed out. It was... The facts of the case seemed very clear to me. There, there was ample evidence to show that there some negligence had happened, and yet a predominantly white jury decided that the that the police had no responsibility in the death of this young man. So I came to that. I came to this um, vigil where where Alex's parents were going to be expecting we were going to rant and scream yeah. and. And uh, somebody from the coalition got up and said uh, something like, I, I, uh, I know we're all bummed, but, but we haven't lost. Because in the process of fighting this injustice, the communities come together. We become community, and this is a community of amore, of love. And then um, in a lot of these settings, the first thing, the first thing that ever, that happens is that um, indigenous members of our community will lead a prayer dance u- using their um, their traditional means of of uh, burning sage and and dancing drum dancing, yeah. and for the next fifteen minutes they offer up prayers mm. and invite us to pray with them. Yeah, and then person after person gets up and talks about the need for forgiveness and um, peace. And uh, I'm just so deeply moved being there amidst my neighbors of all different backgrounds, acknowledging creator, wrestling with how we feel about ongoing injustices in our neighborhood. Well, it's amazing that it sounds like it was not all done in the name of Jesus and you're a, you know, a Mm -hmm. Jesus follower, but it was done in the way of Jesus. It sounds mm-hmm. like, in a, you know, uh, really incarnate for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. sort of, sort of manner. Yes. And that's almost how you, it sounds like you experience God in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Can you speak about that a little more? Mm-hmm. Is that a, does that resonate? Yeah, totally. I grew up in a lot of controlled settings where God's with us in our, in our building and our beliefs. Yeah. And that's not even true to the Judeo Christian scriptures, you yeah. know, the Apostle Paul said, in God, we live and move and have our being. Yeah. And that um, the creators, uh, what the creator is like is revealed in all that's been made. Yeah. And when you read even the narratives of Acts, you see this like movement of God throughout it mm-hmm. where it's not a, a contained sort of, it's almost actually antithetical to, to what's happening in, mm-hmm. in that God isn't contained in a building anymore. Yeah. God is surging throughout creation. And yeah. It's affecting people. So if I've learned anything in the last 20 years, it's to try and get over my dualism. Yeah. And to begin to see creator's presence and work uh, all around me Mm. instead instead of relegating it to one place or one group of people. Yeah. What does it look like? What has your spirituality and your faith looked like as you've seen suffering and injustice? Um, I think there's some there's an element to authentic spirituality that acknowledges the brokenness in our world and that we're invited to mourn and lament and grieve over the injustices that we see. 
And in fact, Jesus had these nine sayings, the Beatitudes, and the, this, the first one's blessed are the poor. The second one is blessed are those who mourn. So when we, um, I think we live in a time and a culture where we've lost our ability to mourn. Um, ancient cultures, they knew how to do it. You'd pour ashes on your head. You tear, you tear your clothes. You sit in the dirt. Um, you really feel it. We tend to anesthetize our pain. So we logically explain it away, and then we head to uh, entertainment or substances to try and escape yeah. from pain. Um, but there's some deeper wisdom. I think you even see it in the Psalms. About a third of the Psalms from the Hebrew Bible are Psalms of lament or complaint. Yeah. And so if we can get in touch with that and go, this is one of the postures of being a spiritual person. Yeah. Greg Boyle, uh, down in Los Angeles with mm-hmm. Homeboy Ministries, wrote an article recently that I read that is kind of resonating with what you're saying. And he said something along the lines, I'm not going to get the quote quite right, that he went into his sort of solidarity with the injustices of that neighborhood, thinking that he would somehow be a saving presence. But mm. after the years that he has been there, he's realized that when he entered in in solidarity and stopped trying to fix the problems, that he was saved mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Is that yeah, I, de- I definitely feel that. I feel like I'm, I'm a learner and just a beginner and that um, people who haven't had the privileges that I was born into ha- have a lot to teach me about um, living life with God in the midst of struggles and suffering yeah. in life. Yeah. We saw, I feel like we saw it today at the at the um, Hall of Justice, you know, a, a fiery 70-year-old Latin American woman calling out for justice yeah. and and talking about Good Friday. Yeah, I don't think I've heard a better Good Friday sermon yeah. than what she was saying <laughs> right. because it was visceral to her. It was mm-hmm. real. It impacted her in a way that mm-hmm. it wasn't just some abstract spiritual concept about atonement. It was about the realities of her mm-hmm. life and her neighborhood. Yeah. We killed a, they killed a young man 2,000 years ago. They're still killing young men and women. Yeah. It's yeah. still wrong. Yeah. Yeah, to view the cross, we have to view those sort of things. Yeah. We can't, we can't turn them blind. So I think part of my, yeah, it's, it's, it's really been enriching for me and difficult for me to, to, to get, in, get more in touch with with people who look different than me and have had different life experiences. And really it's only, I'm almost convinced that it's only in that exchange that I really come in, that I really get to experience the goodness of creator. Yeah. Like if I'm only with people who look like me and think like me and like what I like and believe what I believe, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not enriched. Yeah. You know, and we can, we can tend to, um, kind of fetishize the, the, the some very particular things that, that are inherent to our experiences. Yeah, and there's a truth there that I continually learn and am learning that oftentimes when I go into these sort of advocacy modes against injustice, I do it with a little bit of arrogance. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that um, that when I've isolated myself in my corners of whatever it is, whiteness, uh, Christianity, whatever those, mm-hmm. those things are, I'm missing out as well. It's not anywhere close to the same sort of uh, 
yeah. pain, but I'm losing part of what it means to be human and part of what it means to experience God in yeah. those moments. Yeah. If I could do anything over from the last 20 years, I think one of those things is when I was at a point in my life where I was really um, deconstructing the kind of faith I grew up with and being critical, intensely critical of my church experience and church institutions. One thing I wish I'd done differently is if I just joined a uh, black or, his, or Latin American church yeah. and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come under the um, authority of this institution and these leaders and become a learner and join this community. Yeah. I think I would have gotten over my deconstruction a lot faster <laughs> and I'd be, I would have, that would have been a lot healthier journey. Yeah. And instead I got together with other bratty white kids and we complained and criticized yeah. and for a while didn't do anything different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's some good advice then for folks who are, I know a lot of folks who are deconstructing yeah. their faith. So step into a different environment. So I'd like to say it's never, it's never too late. Yeah. Or too early. So on Tuesday this week, I took a, my niece and nephew and my sister came along and we went to the People's Bible Study at Glide Memorial Church. And I have a, a friend, the Reverend Harry Williams Jr., who leads People's Bible Study. It's the most diverse group of people you'll ever study the Bible with. You know, um, many older African-American saints of the church and um uh, trans folks and young lesbians and um, young ardent er- evangelical urban workers. Everybody's in the room. A lot of different people in the room. In fact, one guy at the beginning, he said, um, I want to I sing a song to God, uh, to, to him or her or it, whatever you, whatever you need it to be. And then he got done and we were just wowed by this song. And then he says, yep, that was a song to God by a Jewish atheist. <laughs> Yeah, just speaking of himself. Yeah. But um, but I'm in that room, and we have to do a check-in. How are you doing? And and at people's Bible study, you got to be real. That's mm. that's the one rule. You got to really say yeah. how you're doing. And as people share, I, I shared a little something, and these older folks come around me and speak some words of comfort to my situation. Mm. Um, I need that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I got, I, I, I got something to give, but I, I also have lots that I need to receive. Yeah, there's a point might be in Ephesians where Paul talks about the wisdom of God being many variations of colors, many mm. shaded, and mm-hmm. we think that oftentimes God is black and white, or wisdom and truth is black and white. Mm-hmm. But sort of, I think what it's getting at is what you're talking about is to actually begin to even wade into the depths of what it means to experience God is to do it with many different shades and colors of perspectives and mm. outlooks and experiences. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you are you're in the process of doing that. Yeah, learning. yeah, it's been a it's being a great great journey. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, any last thoughts? Anything we've missed as you're reflecting on what this has meant for you? Mm. No pressure. Well, yeah, we could talk for another hour yeah, about yeah, it, yeah. but um, I. I would say um, it's it seems like the systems that we have are built to protect the interests of the wealthy and the powerful and the dominant. 
And if they're going to change, then those of us who are people of privilege, um, I think are really being invited to join with the cries and struggles of the, um, the, the poorest and more, most marginalized people in our society. Yeah. And those are the people that, that Jesus uh, went to and the people who loved him and that he loved. And cha- change comes not from the center of power, but from the margins. Yeah. And so uh, a fr- friend of mine, I, lo- I love the way he says it. He says, um, there's two places where we're guaranteed to come into contact with, with, the, with God. Um, one is in the silence of prayer or contemplation. And he said the other is in the face of the poor. Hmm. Because we, we know because of the historical record that, um, that God's heart is always with them. So if we want to be close to our creator, then we have to be close to those who are in suffering and struggle. It's yeah. a good place to end mm-hmm. on Good Friday. <laughs> so if people want to hear more from you or if they want you to come coach them, talk to them, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can go to reimagine.org or markscandret.com. Gotcha. Not markscandretti.com. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, Mark, I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing and talking about the journey that you've been on and continue to be on. So looking yeah. forward to seeing where it goes. Great to be with you, Sam. Thanks, Mark. Peace. Peace.